Good morning. Today's passage comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 26, verses 18 through 30. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, The water is ours. So he named the well Isaac, because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar with Ahazath, his personal advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his forces. Isaac asked them, Why have you come to me, since you were hostile to me and sent me away? They answered, We saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said, There ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between you and us. Let us make a treaty with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we did not molest you, but always treated you well and sent you away in peace. And now you are blessed by the Lord. Isaac then made a feast for them, and they ate and drank. Well, good morning. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the time we've already spent together this morning, drinking deeply of worship of you, focusing on you and your amazing coming to earth on our behalf. And Lord, now as we look into your word, give us a deep drink from you, from your word, from the truth that's there, and help us learn what it means to be people of living water for those around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. No one can live without water. We all have to have it. It's been said that people can live up to 60 days, even a little more, without food. But without water, in two or three days, you die. It's the most basic building block of life. That's why one of our missionary families, the Eitmillers, Glenn and Karen Eitmiller in Indonesia, though they live in a land where there's lots of rain, people don't have clean water, pure water to drink. And so their ministry is to build water tanks that collect rainwater so people can be healthy and have water to drink. And then they share the living water of Christ with people there in Indonesia. I'm going to read a couple of verses from John chapter 7, to set the context for our passage today. As Jesus stood up in the feast, and it says, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, this is John 7, verse 37 and 38, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Now, this is an astounding statement. 
it says that a dry and thirsty soul, if we come to him and drink, when we're thirsty and we drink of him, we come to Jesus, we learn to drink of him, it says something amazing. Not only will we drink of him, but out of us will flow rivers of living water. Who is that water for? It's for the world around us. That the world around us might drink of the living water that's flowing out of our lives. So the question, I guess, for us is, if that's true, if people around us are dying of thirst, they're dying of thirst, and they need to drink of living water, then how can we become a place of living water for them? How does that river of life flow from us? Now, this promise that Jesus makes reflects the promise that he made to Abraham that we're following through this book of Genesis as we go back in chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, where he says, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's his plan. That's his promise. That's his goal. As Jesus said, out of you will flow rivers of living water. So the question for us today is, what must be true of a person to have that happen? To have us be that drink of water that the world desperately needs? Because, you see, the world around us is trying to find life in dry and dusty wells where there is no water. They look promising, but when you actually try to drink, all you find is dirt and mud. So how do we become rivers flowing of water from which they can drink? That really is the question. And let me just highlight first, I think, a mistake that many of us Christians make. And that is we think that we need to do certain things, be a certain way, as witnesses in the world... We feel like that's what we're called to. And there's three things that I think we do wrong. (laughs) That I've fallen into all of these, okay? So this is common to many of us as believers. One is, if we're really to be God's people in the world, impact the world around us, then number one, we need to be religious. We need the people around us to know that we go to church. We go to Bible study. We're different from them. Because we're religious. Another common mistake I think we make is that we think we'll impact the world if people around us know that we have a higher standard of morality than they do. We don't do the things they do. Those things they do are bad, but we don't do those. Third, I think we make the mistake of thinking that Well, if I'm going to be a witness in the world, if I'm going to have an impact, then I need to show them that I'm together. You see, Christianity works. So I don't fall on my face. I don't struggle as much as you do. I've got it together. And so we work real hard to present this image that our life works, that we don't struggle like those in the world around us. You see, the problem with all three of these is they're basically our own self-effort. They're us trying to somehow make an impact on others and think for a moment how it feels to the non-Christian world around us when those are the things we emphasize. 
It feels like that, doesn't it? (laughs) They feel criticized. They feel judged. They call us hypocrites, which too often is true because we're pretending to be better than we really are. We struggle. But we fall into this. We think these are the things we need to do to have an impact on the world around us. And believe me, all it does is leave the world around us thirsty and not knowing where to go for living water. But I think our passage today will give us some real guidance to help us understand what it means for us to become people who have drunk of Jesus so that living water can flow, so that the world around us can experience the living water that he wants us to. As we look at Isaac's life in this passage, Isaac, who did not have it together, I want to read a verse right from the middle of the passage to set our context. Verse 28, Abimelech and his two buddies, Ahuzeth and Phicol, his commander, show up and they say, verse 28, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. Literally, it's seeing, we see, it's wow, we see without a doubt (laughs) There's no doubt in our minds that the Lord is with you. Now imagine people around you saying that of you. Your family, your neighbors, your co-workers. Wow. I know without a doubt the Lord is with you. So how do I get a drink of living water? That's what we want to try to see how we get there. So, how do we do that? How do we become a blessing for the world? Well, I want to highlight three truths from this passage we see in Isaac's life. The first is that we need to learn to rest in God's provision. Learn to rest in God's provision. Let me set the context for you just by way of reminder here. At the end of the passage last week, In verse 16, God had really blessed Isaac. Things were going well. And Abimelech is getting pretty upset because he's taking over crops and all kinds of things. So in verse 16 of chapter 26, Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. Now think for a moment what he's doing here. Abimelech is basically saying, Isaac... Here is Gerar, where there's all the fruitfulness around it. We have plenty of water. We have everything we need. We want you to leave and go out into the desert. Essentially, I want you to go, and I hope you not only lose your economic prosperity, I hope you die in the desert. That's essentially what Abimelech is saying. Go away from here, and good luck, buddy. (laughs) This pagan king sends him away. He gets kicked out of there, and he goes, and it says he dug a couple of wells. He dug one, and there was quarreling, there was fighting, so he named it Quarreling, Essek. They dug another one. Now remember, they're in the desert. If they don't have water, they are going to die. He's got lots of crops and everything. He is desperate. This is life-threatening. He digs another well, and they fight over that. Now, they dug the well, right? Isaac and his men had every right 
to fight back and keep these wells for himself. The second one, because there's fighting, there's quarreling, there's dissension, he names it sitna. You know, that's the same word in Hebrew where we get the name Satan. Quarreling, fighting, dissension, hatred, enmity. He essentially named that well Satan. (laughs) So what does Isaac do? His life's on the line. You know, it makes me think about situations we face in the world as believers too often. We find ourselves, I think, in similar situations. We invest in a job. We invest in neighbors. We invest in our house. We we invest in this world and we get treated poorly. We experience dissension. We experience the hand of Satan. We experience struggle in this world. We seek to follow God and we end up being taken advantage of. We seek to share blessings with others and what happens? (laughs) We get used. We loan things to help others and they get broken, they get destroyed, they get trashed. You let someone stay with you and they steal from you, they misuse you, take advantage of you. You try to be kind at work and people stab you in the back. We experience these things in the world, don't we? Because that's the way the world is. And Isaac had every right to fight for his own rights. But what did Isaac do? Notice what he does in verse 22. He moved away from there. (laughs) He didn't put up a fight. He didn't say, "You're, you're taking away my rights. I deserve these wells. I dug them. He moved away from there and he dug another well. And guess what? They didn't fight over this one. (laughs) So he said, at last, the Lord has made room for us. He named it Rehoboth, which means enlarged, spacious. Finally, I have some room to settle down here. God's provided what we need and now we can be fruitful in the land. He moved on. He didn't demand his rights. Instead, he was willing to take, be taken advantage of, let them have the wells, and he trusted in God to provide. He rested in God's provision. He didn't fight for himself. He rested in God's provision. I think this is critical for us as Christians to learn. We face conflict in the world. It's hard. It's difficult. We do get stabbed in the back and we struggle with it and we want to fight for our rights. But the Lord wants us to follow the example of our Lord Jesus, right? He didn't fight for his rights. He was willing to be taken advantage of. He was willing to trust himself to the Father. You see, when we fight the world for our rights, for our resources, and we're fighting over the same resources, and it doesn't matter what it is. It might be money, it might be a job, it might be a promotion, it might be political power, it might be influence. Whatever it is, we're fighting with the world over. When we do that, all it does is make us look like everybody else. And what does it provide for the world? Just more dry well because we're fighting over the same dry well 
that can't really give us living water anyway. (laughs) Why do we do that? But see, Isaac does something different. He entrusts himself to the Father. He rests in his provision. And notice what happens. God provides. God takes care of him. Maybe not in his timing, maybe not in our timing, but God takes care of him. So first, I think, if we want to be a blessing to the world, bring living water to the world, how do we do that? We need to first trust the Lord for our own provision, our own resources. Secondly, we need to learn to live a lifestyle of worship. As it goes on, the passage, we see that God now shows up to him. He went to Beersheba. The Lord appeared to him in that same night because he didn't fight, he didn't wrestle. God showed up that same night and gave him the promises that he'd given him earlier. He repeats the promises. And notice the three promises he gives him. I will be with you. I will bless you. I will give you many descendants. He repeats the same promises he gave him before. And how does Isaac respond to these promises of God as God shows up and takes care of him in life? He responds with worship. Three acts of worship. It says that he built an altar there, verse 25, and secondly, called on the name of the Lord, and third, pitched his tent there. What are these descriptive of? What is Isaac doing as he's turning to God in worship? First of all, he builds an altar. Now, for the old patriarchs of the Old Testament, Abraham did this. Every time God spoke to him, every time God blessed him, he built an altar. And here Isaac does the same. What is that picture for us? What does it mean to build an altar to the Lord? We don't actually pile up a bunch of rocks, right, and do sacrifices. Well, it's really that offering that we just sang about, an offering of praise, of thanksgiving, that we recognize when we build an altar, we are essentially saying, this is the God that I follow. You may follow other gods. You may try to drink from other wells. But this is the God I follow, and I will give my thanks to him. I will praise him. I will orient my life around him. He is the God that I follow. What does it mean to call upon the name of the Lord? His second act here. Well, to call upon the Lord means essentially to cry out to him. I see it as a picture of dependence. Calling out to him, saying, Lord, you are the one I'm depending on. I'm depending on you. I'm looking to you to provide for my life everything I need, whether it's emotional, spiritual, physical, whatever. I am calling out to you. And I think what he's talking about is developing a lifestyle of calling out to him. Not just once, but to seek to be a person that depends on the Lord for life as you go to work. Lord, I need you today. I need you right now to help me do a good job. Respond to hostility well. Love those around me. Do my best. Lord, I'm calling upon you. I'm depending on you. Lord, I need you to help me have wisdom to deal with my kids. I need you to help me love my aging parents. I need you to live my life today. I'm calling upon the name of the Lord. That's dependence. 
Third, he pitched his tent. To me, that's a real picture of permanence. It's, I'm planting myself right here, God, and and I'm going to stay here and I'm going to keep worshiping you no matter what. Now, we had a wonderful time of worship this morning. And that's a blessing and it's a taste of heaven. It should be. That's what we'll be doing in heaven, partly as we'll be before the throne singing and worshiping to him. And that should be wonderful. It should feel wonderful to us. But what we're seeing here is more than just a Sunday morning worship, corporate worship time. It's a lifestyle of worship. It's calling on him. It's depending on him. It's orienting our lives around this altar of who he is. And it's pitching our tent there and saying, whatever happens, Lord, I'm with you. I'm not moving. I'm going to worship you day by day. I'm going to abide in you. I'm going to make my life centered on you. You see, worship is responding to who God is, how he's revealed himself. He came and spoke to Isaac, and Isaac worshiped. God is speaking to us all the time in all kinds of ways, through his spirit, through his word, through his preached word, all kinds of ways. And if we're listening, uh, the proper response is always worship. It's worship. It's orienting our lives around him. It's calling upon him. Folks, that's how we have an impact in the world. By drinking deeply of him, depending on him, orienting our lives around him, worshiping him, then we have living water to offer to others, right? One of the big movements in the evangelical church in America today, which is a good movement, is a real emphasis on social action. If we're going to be the church, we need to step out and we need to make a difference in the world and we need to care for the poor. We need to fight for the oppressed. We need to do good in the world around us. Now, I think that is a good movement. But understand, ultimately it will only be a dry well unless we are deeply rooted in our worship of him, our dependence on him. Then it's living water because the life of Jesus flows through us as we do those social action things. That's why we need to get the order right. We root ourselves deeply in him and out of his life in us, we reach out in love to others. So you want to have an impact on the world? Do you want to be living water to the world? Learn a lifestyle of worship. Third, if we want to have impact, be living water to others, we need to learn to share the blessings. Share the blessings. So we see, as we've seen, that Abimelech comes to him from Gerar with his advisor Ahuzeth and Phicol, the commander of his army. Now think how Isaac's, how he's feeling at this point. He got sent away. Essentially, Abimelech said, you go die in the desert. You're out of here. We are not helping you anymore. And suddenly Abimelech comes back and he brings his big wigs, okay? The big guns, commander of his army, his main counselor, they show up. And listen to the defensiveness in Isaac's voice. Verse 27, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me? New American Standard, or hostile to me. And you've sent me away from you. Hey, (laughs) you stay away from me. 
You already tried to kill me once. I don't want anything to do with you. Why in the world have you come here? He's naturally defensive. Don't we feel that way a lot of times in the world because we get mistreated? And we get defensive. We're upset. But notice Abimelech's response. Well, hold on a second, Isaac. We have seen without a doubt that the Lord is with you. We don't doubt at all that the Lord is with you. But listen to Abimelech's words as he says that. We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So he said, let there now be an oath between us, even between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. Talk about buttering somebody up, huh? I mean, what a lie. But he's trying to butter up Isaac to get on his good side because, frankly, he's afraid of him. He has seen that the Lord's with him. And there's something about Isaac that's more powerful than anything they have. And they think, you know, we better make a covenant with this guy or we're going to be in big trouble. We were mean to him. (laughs) We better get on his good side. So they come and say, let's make a covenant together. Now, Isaac has been used and abused, right? He's been hated. How would you respond in that situation? People who have misused you. People who have hated you. Well, verse 30 and 31. Isaac made them a feast. And they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths. Then Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. I don't know if I could have done that. Could you? These men that had so mistreated you? But what he does is he throws a feast. (laughs) He takes all those blessings that God had given him in spite of Abimelech and the world around him. And he says, come on, guys, let me share the feast. Uh, This wasn't a small meal. This was a feast. Everything God's given me, I now share with you. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) Isn't that amazing? We tend to be so suspicious of the world, and they're coming to us, and they want something from us, and Abimelech did. He was only out for his own self-protection. But Isaac uses an opportunity, in spite of that, to share the blessings that God had given him. However he has blessed us, it may be materially, but it may be not. We are to share those blessings with others. That's how we become living water. God's given us living water. We share it. Those blessings, whether they're spiritual, emotional, psychological, physical, we share the blessings. I don't know how many opportunities Jeannie and I have had, many to just minister to people who we've gotten to know through the schools, as we've volunteered, as we've gotten involved, Jeannie has worked there. There's just opportunity. As you get involved in people's lives, they begin to trust you. We've been able to walk people through deaths in their family. There's one lady who 
has called me a number of times because she can't light the fireplace, the, the pilot in the fireplace, so she calls me, I come over and do it. We had a Mormon family near us that a lady calls at 7 in the morning. The mom calls. She says, can you come over here? There's a big spider. <laughs> Her husband had already gone to work. She was just terrified of this giant spider. Well, <clears throat> I wasn't real excited about going over personally. I was probably as scared as she was. I don't really like spiders. But I went over, took her broom, and was up on the wall and killed the spider for her. You never know what kind of opportunities you're going to get as you just befriend people, share the blessings, see how God will use you. I heard the story just this week of a woman who, whose husband was unfaithful to her and left her, divorced her, and married the other woman. Terribly painful. Awful situation. She had every right to be angry and push them away. But she befriended them, her ex-husband, his new wife. Was kind, loved them in whatever way God led, and eventually was able to lead the other woman to the Lord continues to have good relationship with them. That's living water. That's somebody who's drunk from the living water and says, I'm going to share it, despite the hostility and the abuse I've experienced. Some of you have heard the story of a man called Norman. He was on Focus on the Family years ago, the story of Mike Adkins, who was living in a neighborhood and in his neighborhood across the street actually from his house was a man called Norman. And Norman was a guy that was really difficult to be around. Socially inept, if you tried to say hi to him, he'd just grunt. Obviously didn't take showers. His place was a mess. Everything's terrible. And Mike just felt this nudging. You need to go reach out to Norman. And Mike's like, no way, Lord. Him? And finally, he did a couple things for me. He thought, okay, Lord, I took care of it. I did it. <laughs> I feel good now about myself. And the Lord kept saying, no, you need to go over there and you need to reach out to him. And eventually, Norman let him in his house. And his house was a disaster. Things broken all over. And the Lord was saying, Mike, help him. Fix his things. Invest time in him. But I got a family, Lord. No. This is part of what I've called you to do, to be living water to this man who may never reciprocate. And he fixed a number of things, and the one thing he didn't want to fix was the toilet seat. It was broken in half, one bathroom in the house. I was in, and he sent the Lord saying, fix the toilet seat. He said, no, it's all rusted on. Who knows what, it's filthy. I don't want to touch the toilet seat. And the Lord kept saying, no, you need to do this. Okay, Lord. He finally did. Put on a new toilet seat. Eventually, over time, Norman softened, came to church with him, came to the Lord. You see, we're meant to be living water. And if the world doesn't treat us well and we just act like the world and say, fine, to heck with you, I'm going to go my own way, they never get the chance to have the living water that God wants to flow through us. 
You want to participate in God's redemption of a broken, thirsty world? You want to bring living water to a dry world? I hope you do. Then we do it by sharing the blessings. However God has blessed you, we share the blessing with others. With others that are hostile, with others that may not treat you well, with others that may at times abuse you. And notice the end of verse 31, and they departed from him in shalom, in peace. That's our word for Advent for today, shalom, peace. They departed in peace. We are to bring shalom, bring peace wherever we are. Many of you are familiar with Jeremiah 29.11. Probably you could quote it right now to me. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, the word is shalom. Plans for shalom and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. We love that verse, don't we? Yeah, the Lord's promised me shalom. That's great. What we don't read often is verse 7, four verses earlier than this. This is a word to the exiles in Babylon. The nation of Israel has been taken into exile. Listen to what God says to them a little earlier in verse 7. He says, seek the welfare, shalom, peace. Seek the shalom of the city where I have sent you into exile. We're all in exile. Seek the shalom of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its shalom, you will have shalom. But wait, Lord, I live in a, in a place that's full of idolatry and immorality. And that was Babylon. And God says, seek the shalom. Seek to be living water to people. Bless. Seek to be a blessing right there where you are. Seek the peace, the shalom, the well-being, the wholeness of the city where I have set you, where I have placed you. Be living water where you are. For in its shalom will be your shalom. We are to be shalom wherever we go. And I love the next couple of verses. Isaac throws a feast He sends them away in shalom, in peace. And it says, in the morning they rose early. Oh, that's 31. 32. Now it came about on the same day, the same day through the feast, the same day he sent them away in peace, when he could have fought with them and sent them away in anger. That same day, Isaac's servants came in and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, we have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. He shared the blessings, and what did God do? Gave him more blessings. Gave him more water. More water to drink and more water to share. You see, God will take care of you. But he asks us, are you willing to share the water I give you? Share the blessings to make a difference in this world that is dying of thirst. The more we give, the more he provides to give away, to bless others. The last couple of verses I think are a warning to all of us. 
They seem really out of place. Why are they here? They're strange. Verse 34 and 35. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Literally, they brought bitterness of spirit to his parents, Isaac and Rebekah. Some of you parents have experienced that. Your children have made choices that have brought bitterness of spirit to you. Great grief. Great pain. Now this couple of verses doesn't seem to fit in this chapter. It it really does set up the next chapter, but I think in this context of what we're talking about, it's also a warning to us. Because Esau, rather than being living water to the world, drinking of the Lord and then giving it away, Esau became enmeshed, yoked with the world. He, like the world, was beginning to seek water where there was none, from dry and empty wells. He got enmeshed in the world rather than being a blessing to the world. Remember what Jesus said? Be in the world but not of the world. We lose our opportunity to be a blessing when we become just like the world around us. We're seeking the same things, living the same way, acting the same way, having our hearts set on the same things, whether it's power or wealth or relationships or other things. Then we lose our opportunity to find life and be living water to others. So I think the challenge is don't be unequally yoked. Don't become enmeshed in the world. As you engage with the world and share the blessings, don't become so enmeshed that you lose your ability to give living water to others. In the world, but not of it. See, Jesus has left us here on the earth to get to know him and to be living water to those around us who are dying of thirst and looking in all the wrong places to find it. How are we to give them a drink of living water? Well, it's not through showing how religious we are, not by showing them that we've got a higher moral standard than they do, not by showing that we're together and they're not. Those things just drive them away and give them dirt, to try to live off of. No, we give them living water because we trust in him for our provision. We learn to develop a lifestyle of worship where we're drawing on his living water, drinking deeply of him. And as we do that, his life can begin to flow through us. And so we begin to share those blessings with others, whether it's a blessing of money, things, our home, But even more, the joy, the peace, the contentment, the forgiveness that the world lacks. The world's overcome by guilt, but we have forgiveness to offer. And when we share that blessing, it gives life to people, hope, kindness, mercy, grace. I could go on. As we learn to share these blessings with others who don't deserve it, They've treated us badly. They've misused us. And yet we still invite them to the feast. Let me share what I have. 
Not a little bit, but let's feast together. They will taste and see that the Lord is good and there is living water to be had. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this story that shows us that we don't have to have it together, but we need, we do need to depend on you if we are to be a blessing to the world around us. Help us learn to drink more deeply of you and may your river of life flow through us that the world which is dying of thirst might find you, the living God, the place of refreshment, forgiveness, and life. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.